0: BOOK THREE, CHAPTER THREE, OF CAMILLA. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. CAMILLA, OR A PICTURE OF YOUTH, BY FANNY BURNEY. CHAPTER THREE. AN AUTHOR'S NOTION OF TRAVELING. The next morning Camilla, sad and unwilling to appear, was the last to enter the breakfast-parlour. Edgar instantly discerned the continued unhappiness, which an assumed smile concealed from the unsuspicious Sir Hugh, and the week of delay before him seemed an outrage to all his wishes. While she was drinking her first cup of tea, a servant came in and told her the carriage was ready. She coloured, but nobody spoke and the servant retired edgar was going to ask the design for the morning when miss margland said miss camilla as the horses have got to go and return you had better not keep them waiting coloring stilled more deeply she was going to disclaim having ordered them though well aware for what purpose they were come when sir hugh said i think my dear you had best take eugenia with you which may serve you as a companion to talk to in case you want to say anything by the way which i take for granted young people not much liking to hold their tongues for a long while together which is very natural having so little to think of miss Eugenia then cried miss margland before camilla could reply run for your cloak as soon as you have finished your breakfast Eugenia, hoping to aid her sister in performing a task which she considered as a peace-offering to indiana said she had already done Camilla now lost all courage for resistance, but feeling her chagrin almost intolerable, quitted the room with her tea undrunk, and without making known if she should return or not. Eugenia followed, and Edgar, much amazed, said he had forgotten to order his horse for his morning's ride, and hastily made off, determined to be ready to hand the sisters to the carriage, and learn whither it was to drive. Camilla, who, in flying to her room, thought of nothing less than preparing for an excursion which she now detested, was again surprised in tears by Eugenia. What, my dearest Camilla, she cried, can thus continually affect you? You cannot be so unhappy without some cause. Why will you not trust your Eugenia? I cannot talk she answered ashamed to repeat reasons which she knew eugenia held to be inadequate to her concern if there is no resource against this persecution if i must render myself hateful to give them satisfaction let us at least be gone immediately and let me be spared seeing the person i so ungratefully offend she then hurried downstairs but finding edgar in waiting still more quickly hurried back and in an agony which she attempted not to account cast herself into a chair and told eugenia that if miss margland did not contrive to call edgar away the universe could not prevail with her to pass him in such defiance my dear camilla said eugenia surprised yet compassionately if this visit is to become so painful to you relinquish it at once ah no For that cruel Miss Margland will then accuse me of staying away only to follow the counsel of Edgar. She stopped, for the countenance of Eugenia said, And is that not your motive? A sudden consciousness took place of her distress. She hid her face in the hope of concealing her emotion, and with as calm a voice as she could attain, said the moment they could pass unobserved she would set off. Eugenia went downstairs alas alas she then cried into what misery has this barbarous miss margland thrown me eugenia herself seems now to suspect something wrong and so i suppose will my uncle and i can only convince them of my innocence by acting towards edgar as a monster ah i would sooner a thousand times let them all think me guilty eugenia had met miss margland in the hall who impatient for their departure passed her and ascended the stairs at the sound of her footsteps the horror of her reproaches and insinuations conquered every other feeling and camilla starting up rushed forward and saying good morning ran off edgar was still at the door and came forward to offer her his hand pray take care of eugenia she cried abruptly passing him and darting unaided into the chaise edgar astonished obeyed and gave his more welcome assistance to eugenia but when both were seated said where shall i tell the postilion to drive camilla who was pulling one of the green blinds up and again letting it down twenty times in a minute affected not to hear him but eugenia answered to the grove to mrs albury's the postilion had already received his orders from miss margland and drove off, leaving Edgar mute with surprise, disappointment, and mortification. Miss Margland was just behind him, and conceived this the fortunate instant for eradicating from his mind every favorable prepossession for Camilla. Assuming, therefore, an air of concern, she said, So you have found Miss Camilla out, in spite of all her precautions. She would fain not have had you know her frolic not know it has there then been any plan did miss camilla intend oh she intends nothing in the world for two minutes together only she did not like you should find out her fickleness you know i told you before she was all whim and so you will find you may always take my opinion be assured miss lynmere is the only one among them that is always the same always good always amiable is not miss he was going to say camilla but checking himself finished with miss eugenia at least always equal always consistent why she is better than miss camilla but not one among them has any steadiness or real sweetness but miss Linmere. as to miss camilla if she has not her own way there is no enduring her she frets and is so cross when you put her off in that friendly manner from gadding after a new acquaintance so improper for her, you set her into such an ill-humour that she has done nothing but cry, as you may have seen by her eyes, and worry herself and all of us round, except you ever since, but she was afraid of you, for fear you should take her to task, which she hates of all things. Half incredulous, yet half shocked, Edgar turned from this harangue in silent disgust. He knew the splenetic nature of Miss Margland, and trusted she might be wrong. But he knew, too, her opportunities for observation, and dreaded lest she might be right. Camilla had been certainly low-spirited, weeping and restless. Was it possible it could be for so sly, so unmeaning a cause? His wish was to follow her on horseback, but this unauthorized might betray too much anxiety he tried not to think of what had been said by dr marchmont while this cloud hung over her disposition and sincerity for whatever might be the malignity of miss margland the breach of a promise of which the voluntary sweetness had so lately proved his final captivation could not be doubted and called aloud for explanation He mounted, however, his horse to make his promised inquiries for Mrs. Nedham, for though the time was already past for impeding the acquaintance from taking place, its progress might yet be stopped, should it be found incompatible with propriety. The young ladies had scarce left the park when Sir Hugh recollecting a promise he had made to Mr. and Mrs. Tyrold of never suffering Eugenia to go abroad unattended by some gentleman, while bellamy remained in the country sent hastily to beg that edgar would follow the carriage edgar was out of sight and there was no chance of overtaking him luck-a-day said sir hugh those young folks can never walk a horse but full gallop he then resolved to ask dr orkborn to go after his pupil and ride by the side of the chaise he ordered a horse to be saddled and to lose no time by messages the tardiness of which he had already experienced with this gentleman he went himself to his apartment and after several vain rappings at his door entered the room unbid saying good dr orkborne unless you are dead which god forbid i think it's something uncomfortable that you can't speak to a person waiting at your door not that i pretend to doubt but you may have your proper reasons being what i can't judge He then begged he would get booted, and spurred instantly, and follow his two nieces to Mrs. Arlbery's, in order to take care of Eugenia, adding, Though I am afraid, doctor, by your look, you don't much listen to me, which I am sorry for, my not being able to speak like Horace and Virgil being no fault of mine, but of my poor capacity, which no man can be said to be answerable for. He then again entreated him to set off. "'Only a moment, sir. I only beg you'll accord me one moment,' cried the doctor with a fretful sigh. While screening his eyes with his left hand, he endeavoured hastily to make a memorandum of his ideas, before he forced them to any other subject. "'Really, Dr. Orkborn?' said Sir Hugh, somewhat displeased. "'I must needs remark. For a friend, I think this rather slow. However, I can't say I'm much disappointed now that I did not turn out a scholar myself, for I see plain enough you learned men think nothing of any consequence but Homer and such, which, however, I don't mean to take ill, knowing it was like enough to have been my own case. He then left the room, intending to send a man and horse after the chaise to desire his two nieces to return immediately. Dr. Orkborne, who, though copiously stored with the works of the ancients, had a sluggish understanding, and no imagination, was entirely overset by this intrusion. The chain of his observations was utterly broken. He strove vainly to rescue from oblivion the slow ripening fruits of his tardy conceptions, and, proportioning his estimation of their value by their labor, he not only considered his own loss as irreparable, but the whole world to be injured by so unfortunate an interruption the recollection however which refused to assist his fame was importunate in reminding him that the present offender was his patron and his total want of skill in character kept from him the just confidence he would otherwise have placed in the unalterable goodness of heart of sir hugh whom though he despised for his ignorance he feared for his power Uneasy, therefore, at his exit, which he concluded to be made in wrath, he uttered a dolorous groan over his papers, and compelled himself to follow with an apology the innocent enemy of his glory. Sir Hugh, who never harboured displeasure for two minutes in his life, was more inclined to offer an excuse himself for what he had dropped against learning, than to resist the slightest concession from the doctor, whom he only begged to make haste, the horse being already at the door. But Dr. Orkborn, as soon as he comprehended what was desired, revived from the weight of sacrificing so much time. He had never been on horseback since he was fifteen years of age, and declared to the wandering baronet he could not risk his neck by undertaking such a journey. In high satisfaction he would then have returned to his room, persuaded that when his mind was disembarrassed a parallel between two ancient authors which, with much painful stretch of thought, he had suggested, and which, with the most elaborate difficulty he was arranging and drawing up, would recur again to his memory. But Sir Duke, always eager in expedience, said he should follow in the coach, which might be ready time enough for him to arrive at Mrs. Arlbery's before the visit was over, and to bring Eugenia safe back which, cried he, is the main point for the sake of seeing that she goes nowhere else. Dr. Orkong, looking extremely blank at this unexpected proposition, stood still. Won't you go then, my good friend? The doctor, after a long pause and in a most dejected tone, sighed out. Yes, sir, certainly, with the greatest alacrity. Sir Hugh, who took everything literally that seemed right or good-natured, thanked him and ordered the horses to be put to the coach, with all possible expedition. It was soon at the door, and Dr. Orkborne, who had spent in his room the intervening period in moaning the loss of the time that was to succeed, and in opinion that two hours of this morning would have been of more value to him than two years when it was gone, reluctantly obeyed the call that obliged him to descend. But he had no sooner entered the carriage, and found he was to have it to himself, than leaping suddenly from it, as the groom, who was to attend him, was preparing to shut the door. He hastened back to his chamber, to collect a packet of books and papers, through the means of which he hoped to recall those flowers of rhetoric, upon which he was willing to risk his future reputation. The astonished groom, concluding something had frightened him, jumped into the coach to find the cause of his flight but sir hugh who was advancing to give his final directions called out with some displeasure hollo there you jacob if dr orkborne thinks to get you to go for my nieces in place of himself it's what i don't approve which however you need not take amiss one man being no more born with a livery upon his back than another which god forbid i should think otherwise nevertheless my little girls must have a proper respect shown them which it's surprising dr Orpen should not know as well as me and much disconcerted he walked to the parlour to ruminate upon some other measure i am sure your honour said jacob following i got in with no ill intention but what it was and come across the doctor i don't know but just as i was going to shut the door without saying never a word out he pops and runs upstairs again so i only got in to see if something had hurt him but I can't find nothing of no sort. Then putting to the door, and looking sagaciously. Please, your honor, he continued, I dare say it's only some maggot got into his brain from over-reading and writing, for all the maids think he'll soon be cracked. That's very wrong of them, Jacob, and I desire you'll tell them they must not think any such thing. "'Why, Your Honour, don't know half, or you'd be afraid too," said Jacob, lowering his voice. "'He's like nothing you ever see. "'He won't let a chair nor a table be dusted in his room, "'though they are covered over with cobwebs, "'because, he says, it takes him such a time to put his things to rights again. "'Though all the while what he calls being to rights is just the contrary, "'for it's a mere higgledy-piggledy one thing heaped on top of the other, "'as if he did it for fun.' the baronet gravely answered that if there were not the proper shelves for his books he would order more why your honour that's not the quarter as i tell you why when they're cleaning out his room if they happen to but to sweep away a bit of paper as big as my hand he'll make believe they've done him as much mischief as if they'd stole a thousand pound it would make your honour stare to hear him Mary says she's sure he's never been quite right ever since he come to the house. But I desire you to tell Mary I don't approve of that opinion. Dr. Orkborn is one of the first scholars in the world, as I am credibly informed, and I beg you'll all respect him accordingly. Why, Your Honor, if it ain't knowing to something of that sort, why does he behave so unaccountable?' i myself heard him making such a noise at the maids one day that i spoke to mary afterwards and asked her what was the matter laws nobody knows says she but here's the doctor been all in a huff again i was just a dusting his desk says she and so i happened to wipe down a little bundle of papers all nothing but mere scraps and he took on as if they'd been so many guineas says she and he kept me there for an hour looking for them and scolding and telling such a heap of fibs that if he was not out of his head would be a shame for a gentleman to say says she fie fie jacob and tell mary fie too he is a very learned gentleman and no more a story-teller than i myself which god forbid why your honour how could this here be true he told the maids how they had undone him and they like only because of their throwing down a few bits of pipers. Though they are ready to make oath, they picked them up almost every one, and that they were all of a crump and of no manner of use. "'Well, well, say no more about it, good Jacob, but go and give my compliments to Dr. Orpon and ask him what's the reason of his changing his mind, I mean, provide it's no secret.' Jacob returned in two minutes with uplifted hands and eyes your honour cried he now you'll believe me another time he's worse than ever and i'll be bound he'll break out before another quarter why what's the matter why as sure as i'm here, he's getting together ever so many books and stuff in his pockets and cramming them under his arms just if he was a porter and when i gave him your honour's message i suppose it put him out for he said don't hurry me so i'm coming making believe as if he was only preparing for going out in the stead of making that fool of himself sir hugh now really alarmed bid him not mention the matter to any one and was going upstairs himself when he saw dr ortborn heavily laden with books in each hand and bulging from both coat pockets slowly and carefully coming down bless me cried he rather fearfully my dear sir what are you going to do with all that library dr Orkborne wishing him good-morning without attending to his question proceeding to the carriage calling to jacob who stood aloof to make haste and open the door jacob obeyed but with a significant look at his master that said you say how it is sir sir hugh following him gently put his hand upon his shoulder and mildly said my dear friend to be sure you know best but i don't see the use of loading yourself in that manner for nothing it is a great loss of time sir to travel without books answered the doctor quietly arranging them in the coach travel my good friend why you don't call it travelling to go four or five miles why if you had known me before my fall however i don't mean to make any comparisons you gentlemen-scholars being no particular good horsemen. However, if you were to go one hundred miles instead of four or five, you could not get through more than one of those books. Read as hard as you please, unless you skip half, which I suppose you solid heads leave to the lower ignoramusus. It is not for reading, sir, that I take all these books, but merely to look into. There are many of them I shall never read in my life, but I shall want them all. Sir Hugh now stared with increased perplexity, but Dr. Orkborn, as eager to go, since his books were to accompany him, as before to stay, told Jacob to bid the coachman make haste. Jacob looked at his master, who ordered him to mount his mare, and the carriage drew off. The baronet, in some uneasiness, seated himself in the hall to ruminate upon what he had just heard. The quietness and usual manner of speaking and looking of Dr. Orkborne, which he had remarked, removed any immediate apprehensions from the assertions of Jacob and Mary. But still he did not like the suggestion, and the carrying off of so many books, when he acknowledged he did not mean to read one of them, disturbed him. In every shadow of perplexity his first wish was to consult with his brother, and if he had not parted with both his carriages he would instantly have set off for etherington he sent however an express to mr tyrold begging to see him at Cleves with all speed chapter three read by lars